Welcome to the Score and I podcast, where we bring you the best Irish league discussion each week. To find out about future shows, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at the Score and I. Now it's time for this week's program. This is Carl the Jackal Frampton. Hi, this is David Healy. Hello, this is Stephen Ferris. Hi, I'm Bethany Ferris. Hi, this is Joey Barton. I'm Jonas Gutierrez. Hi, this is Harry Kuehl. And you're listening to The Score. The Score with Michael Clark. Hello and welcome along to The Score. We are live on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM with me, Michael Clark. And me, Colin Hopkins. Our special studio guest today is Warren Point Town Chairman Connor McGreevy. Welcome to the studio, Connor. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. It is great to have you here. Lots to talk about in local football in the next couple of hours. Do stick around for all of that. If you have a question for myself, Colin, or maybe for Connor, send it in to us on Facebook, The Score NI on Twitter, at The Score NI. And you can have your voice heard on the programme today. And let's face it, there's lots to be said. What an incredible title race in the Danske Bank Premiership and the bottom half there's plenty of twists and turns still to be had and we haven't even really got into the congested Christmas fixture list yet where you know things are going to be dramatic we'll end up talking about refs we'll end up talking about late winners because let's face it that is what this league is all about it is packed full of personality and this season is incredibly unpredictable the only person definitely winning must be the man in charge of the bookies because it is Ridiculous. I can't wait to get into all of that and more right here today on The Score. The Score with Michael Clark. A few nodding heads already because you, you know him, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, the book, he's the only one winning this season so far. Absolutely. It, it, crazy. Um, Connor, thank you so much for coming in. It's great to have you here. Yeah. Delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. And uh, as people know, what we pride ourselves on in the score is making sure every team has a voice. And um, Warren Point Town's story. Uh, we've had guests on from Warren Point in the past, but Warren Point Town's story, it, it's like a fairy tale. It could easily be a movie. It could be, yeah. Uh, can I get the rights for it too before we publish it? <laughs> um, no, it is. It really is a, <clears throat> a fairy tale, I suppose, over the over the last six, seven years in particular, where you know we're now in our sixth year in the in the premiership and you know what an honour it is for Warren Point and everyone associated with the club to be there. Just last year we celebrated thirty years. Fantastic night down in the Whistledown Hotel in Warren Point and um you know, Jim Magilton and all were down at it talking to us and looking around at you sitting going, thirty years ago there's nobody dreamt in that room mm. where we would be. So we're very happy to be there and we want to stay there. Because in real terms, 30 still kind of makes you football babies, doesn't it? You're kind of still in your infancy, so there, there's still a lot of potential there. Yeah, just like myself, you know. <laughs> <coughs> I think I'm the youngest chairman still, so hanging on that title makes me feel nice and young. But yeah, we are. I mean, you, you go around and, you know, you look at the... And I always say it, my half-time speeches, I've nearly given up on them because they're just a single transferable speech to each ground at half-time. 
But you know, you're sitting, you're sitting in solitude. You're, you're in Windsor. You know, the Oval. You're sitting, going, what history you have here? The Oval in particular, where they have the boardroom, just surrounded four walls of trophies. You know, we haven't got that. But you know, the aspirations are and dreams are now, now well and truly in place. Well, the trophies have been coming along in the in the last uh, half decade to decade, haven't they? Really, Mid Ulster Cup, obviously being uh, one that I'm sure is just something you're very proud of. Yeah, the Mid Ulster Cup there was nice to get. It was one that wasn't um, on our sort of uh, history books as such. Um, but everything else before this, you know, not to take away from them. Looking back, you know, they were very much achievable and probably achievable to lots of clubs locally too now. Um, lots of clubs, you know, Ballyvay, Windmill, they're all aspiring to push on Camla, which is great to see uh, football taking taking a bit of a hold down in Southdown. But for ourselves, it's all about now, what can we do at senior level? You know, can we push on for a European spot at some stage? Can we maybe get a run, not the League Cup this year, but, you know, some year, the Irish Cup semi-final last year, you know, that was a real bubble burst, wasn't it? Um... Everyone around the club was so excited, but we didn't know what to do. <laughs> Everyone was saying, what do we do? do? Do the players go on a bus? You know, it was like a cup final in itself. So the buzz is still there from that, and the hunger's definitely there. There is something particularly magical about the Irish Cup, and obviously Ballin and Mallard got to the final, and, and Crusaders looked like a team that knew exactly what they were doing on the day. Obviously, there's a, a league apart as well, and, and Crusaders at the moment top of the league, so we, we know their CV's a fairly strong one. But... Um, for yourselves to get the semi-final, for Ballymallard to get to a final, it shows you that you don't need to be, in Verticomas, a big Belfast club to really make a fist of it in a cup competition. Yeah, was, I, for football, I think it was fantastic. Um, Ballymallard to get to an Irish Cup final. Championship team in itself too. Last season, still this season, of course, uh, doing quite well. Um, what an occasion for them. Uh, for us, it was our cup final, I suppose, because one of us were going to get there. Um I just think it's amazing for football whenever you see the smaller clubs doing well. When did you get involved with Warren Point Town and how did that come about? Well, no, that's a story. Are we <laughs> after the watershed yet? <laughs> no. Um, roughly, I think seven years ago, I got formally involved with the club, supporting the club um, a bit longer than that, following them. And some, some days you sort of wake up wish that you're still just stuck in the stand, supporting <laughs> and clapping, you know, we might have worked that goes on behind the scenes. But formally, I was in a taxi with former chairman Johnny Bird. Um, Who's a legend, by the way. He's a legend in his own right, of course. <laughs> he got a bit of a slag into it, our 30-year anniversary. Uh, um, yeah, so <laughs> we'll do that another time, Michael. But uh, yeah, so Johnny was driving me home after a few nights, uh, a few, few a night out and a few scoops and that, and um, drove past the pitch, and I says, I'd love to get involved in football. He says, oh, why don't you? So, of course, Johnny being Johnny, hand me a card, and I give him my number, and next thing I got a text message, got another text message about a month later, well, you coming down. So I got involved in youth coaching then, at that point, um, that summer. And having really looked back, you know, took that wee team for, for three years, and very shortly after that, I was asked to get involved in the in the board and the structure of that, and now chairman. So, you know, it suits me quite well, because I've always wanted to do it. So it's just like the perfect place, perfect time. You know, there's no regrets. Um, you know, I, I grew up in Ballinhinch, so moving down into Warren Point area, I didn't know who to go to. And Johnny has a bit of a summer story because he came from Drogheda and up and he didn't know where to go to. So, you know, I suppose Warren Point and football itself is really in its infancy down in South Down and really more people get involved. But, you know, growing up in Ballinhinch, 
to be honest with you, <coughs> there's going to be a load of booze going around this place now, right. but I support Cliftonville growing up, went down in solitude every game, you know, I remember going to see you, you remember the old cages and stuff, yeah. you know, that was awesome, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the banter was good, so that's where I, I grew up, and then whenever we moved down, I was 16, 17 or whatever, um, there was no one really, to be honest with you, yeah. so I was screwed whenever Johnny reached out and says, come on, get involved, you know, I'm delighted to be there. You see, you never know what happens in a left home, do you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just surprised to hear somebody saying, I want to get involved in football. Most people I speak to, oh, I couldn't do that. I don't know about that. <laughs> I may have to come three to five on a Saturday and go home and forget about it. But unfortunately, the people behind the scenes are few and far between at times. So fair play to you for getting involved. And particularly as a chairman as well, you, you must have to face all sorts of weird and wonderful problems and try and find creative solutions. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the ones you have to think in your feet and thankfully my professional career allows me to do that too so I bring those sort of transferable skills into the role um, Sorry, for anyone that doesn't know can you tell us a bit about your yeah, outside of this, what you do? Um, well, I run a, a facilities management firm uh, across the island of Ireland about 150 staff um, about another 100 full-time uh, subcontracting staff so it's a busy operation and stuff but great team and that's what it's about and that's what I try to bring in the Warren Point town Whereas the traditional role of the chairman, everyone sort of listens to the chairman, right? The chairman's going to do everything. That's it. Make the tea, you know, pick the team, whatever has to be done, the chairman's going to do it, cut the grass. And in some ways, you know, that's what, you know, as an intermediate club, as a junior club, that's what, that is what happens. But what I've done, one point, or at least tried to do, is get other team members around me. I've recruited quite a few people, even for a shop. You know, I went and got the shop and got someone to volunteer to do it. And that's what the backbone of our club is, volunteers. Most clubs, I suppose, are, and Colin, you know all about that too. Um, so build the team off the field will help the team on the field that's my philosophy around it and everyone sort of talks about the, the catchment area for players but what's it like for volunteers how, how is it to try and reach out to the community and you know because it's a, as you say it's an area in its infancy in terms of really getting behind the football team and the football club in itself and trying to strive towards always getting better and, and starting to pick up silverware etc how, how easy or how hard is it to, to bring people into the club and say right Give up some time on whatever day you can and let's do X, Y and Z. It's not easy. That's a simple answer to that. But I think that's uh, right across every sport today, every walk of life. People don't want to volunteer anymore. They're scared to volunteer nearly. You know, if I volunteer for this, I'm going to lose my life nearly. So much time's going to be given up. But there's also this claim culture too, which I think a lot of people are scared. Um, and, and of course, there's cases going around in football clubs at the minute around young players being injured and loss of career earnings and things like that. Um, so that is putting more and more people off. So, I mean, we've had a couple of open days, open nights to try and attract some volunteers into the club. There's loads of rules out there. Um, and I've been, you know, I've talked to people loads of times, you know, come volunteer, give an hour here, help here. And you do find once they get in and they feel part of the family, which I, f- I feel is very, very important around a club like ours, uh, they want to give more then because they can see the value that it gives back. Not just at senior level, I suppose that's what we see in the papers every week, the senior team, but right down to the to the four and five and six-year-olds, how much it means for them. I'd rather have young people getting involved in Warren Point Town or other local teams as opposed to running across the Sport Man United, to be quite honest with you. That's who I support, so don't, don't have me for that one. But you know what I mean? Um, so we need more volunteers, and thankfully we have a few there, but we'd love to see it grow. And I guess part of that is going to be um, people that are coming through the club when they're they're finished their playing days, maybe making that an opportunity and also providing opportunities for people of younger ages so the families feel more invested in the club and can maybe give back in different areas. Uh, Absolutely. Um, 
And I think we're now starting to see that in the last couple of years. You know, the team that came through the Mid-Ulster Leagues, um, they're all maybe in around my age, maybe now 37, 38 and all the rest. And they're starting to now take some of the younger teams. And it's fantastic to see because their passion is one point time football club, you know. So they're all starting to hang up their, their boots. I can think of, you know, the likes of Brendan Boyle as an example there in the Boyle family in itself. You know, um, John Boyle played for us and that. But Brendan are coaching the team now volunteering in the shop fantastic uh, Sinead Boiler too um, Kieran Cunningham you know, these are the lifeblood of any club you know yeah. there's, there's a Brendan Boyle and Kieran Cunningham in every club and these are the people that you know we need to get out there I'm going to maybe say something there shouldn't I but the Irish Football Association needs to get out and help support more of that particularly in the areas outside Greater Belfast In, in what way expand on that for me if you can what's the big challenge you're facing? Well, we need to we need to get out and show people that they can get get involved in football, help shape their communities too. Um, you know, we need to try and help people get their coaching badges. I mean, right now it's a scramble. We're nearly out with a bucket. To be honest, we're shaking the bucket to try and get people through coaching badges. That's wrong. I mean, if you go back, probably the start of the, the Irish Football Association. I would argue that the whole constitution should be changed and it should become more of a volunteer base if, if you're going to try and, and build something really community-based and all the rest. And that's what we're about, so maybe it's a biased view. I'm, I'm proud of you, though. So if we get more money into the grassroots in terms of getting volunteers trained up, I mean, even if you look and uh, the, the premiership licensing and all the rest that you have now, you know, people have to be qualified, even down to health and safety, you know, fire training, you know, you're talking earlier on before we come on or about fire alarm, you know, that all has to be done in clubs too. That's all money. So if we get people trained to do these things, then I think we'll get a much more better product. Because the licensing is something that always comes up and obviously um, largely the IFA, but NIF will have a, a look in on some of those matters as well. And, and when they were sort of setting out their vision about, you know, teams to come up, there was all these things in place that you needed to have, otherwise you weren't eligible for promotion. And a lot of it's common sense, a lot of it's required, and maybe sometimes how hard the paperwork is is a bit over-egged in some ways, if that's a fair enough comment to make. Mm-hmm. From my viewpoint, anyway, volunteer hours go into it, man hours go into it, etc. But it's not, oh, it's not, you're not filling out the equivalent of the Bible, is what I'm trying to say in terms yeah. of pages. But there's time and there's money that goes into it, and it can cause problems. Is there a way to make things like that easier, or are they asking what they need to ask? Well, you're talking to a geek in terms of technology here. So, I mean, whenever you see it come through, it's all these PDFs and then somebody has to go and scan them and all the rest of it. <clears throat> I think there should be a web portal where a lot of it could be there and it could be live um, instead of just coming annually, actually hitting you in the, in the face, right, get this done for a particular date. It should be almost like a live register. And I suppose that's me coming from my industry background in terms of gas safety and things like that, where it's always live. Is a spark qualified? It's live. You can check there and then. So... Has somebody got their qualification? Yes. Are they registered to the club? Yes. So I think we could modernise it in time. Um, I don't believe that's being looked at currently, but it's something I would definitely be pushing for. It's an interesting time in general, isn't it? Because you know, you're talking about constitutional changes and ideas, um, which will excite some people and, and probably terrify others. <laughs> Technology, my goodness. Yeah. But, um, you know, on one hand, you've got a big conversation going on at the minute, with it, and people get mad every time I mention it, but there's talks about all-island leagues, changing the way the whole football, you know, way the way everyone looks at football, the way leagues are structured, etc., etc., at the moment. 
it feels like a time where change is coming. It might not be necessarily for that league and that structure and that idea, but that things are starting to shift in some way or another. I believe conversation is good in every walk of life. If you don't have conversation and you try to close down conversation, then that leads to resentment, it leads to trouble down the line. Um, and we've seen that in all walks of life here, particularly in Northern Ireland. So I suppose you mentioned the All-Island League. I think conversation should be happening. We should be absolutely looking at it, but we need to look at it from facts and figures, not through rose-tinted eyes or glasses. Um, and to be kind of honest, we, a week after a public meeting, which was the first time many, many, many people in the football family got to see what was even being discussed. Before that meeting in Dundalk, it was all rumour. And to be quite honest, we, we were only engaged about two weeks in, a, in advance of that. Um, and then a week after that meeting, it's closed down the conversation. I think that's wrong. Uh, and it is going to lead to an awful lot of arguments down, down the line. I'm not saying what we have, we need to change it tomorrow. I think what we have, particularly in Niffle, is very, very good. It's a brilliant product. And you can see me tweeting about it, I'm sure, every week. You know, the number of goals per game, the product is really, really good. It's competitive, top and bottom, middle, everyone's competing. Maybe this year, a wee bit of an edge taken away with the European spot gone. But that's coming back again next year. Uh, thank you, Linfield, of course. Um, but let's talk about what else we can do. You know, should we look, I know Satanta was there nine years, whatever we had of it. But let's look. Is there another alternative? Could we have a, an all-island uh, Champions League, in, in a sense? I do believe that there is a hunger from the fans to see good competitive football. Um, and I know the the uh, Dundalk-Linfield game, people mentioned it and they'll criticise that and all the rest of it. That's wrong. I don't think they look at That's not real competitive football. Um, you know, Dundalk ran away with it, but... At the end of the day, let's look at how we can lift football here in Northern Ireland, lift football in the Republic of Ireland, work together and let's see what, what can happen, you know. Were you present at that meeting? I wasn't able to make it because uh, we went through a bit of a transition in terms of manager that night, if you remember. Ah, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, it was the return of Grey in, in, in terms of uh, Barry coming back there, so that happened that, that day and that night. So. Very inconsiderate of him, wasn't it? I know, the timing was awful. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but we did have one point time we were in attendance that night. We had, we had two delegates set. We mentioned one of them there, Johnny Bird was there. In, in terms of the all Ireland League, I mean, Warren Point obviously one of the smaller sides in the Premiership, no point in that. They could be one of the sides who could suffer as a result of an all Ireland League. Uh, is that something that you're, you're concerned about if it was to develop? Yeah, and that's why I think we need to have the conversation. We need to see what does it mean at this moment in time. It's sitting up there in the clouds. You know, there's no facts and figures. Let's get the facts and figures on the page. You're talking, like, let's be honest here, you're talking five years before you even consider anything. You know, what we have at the minute is good. It's it's working well. We need to keep developing that, keep growing that. Maybe it's a transition we move, move into. I know one of the other clubs is talking about some sort of tra- transition, um, like a like a group structure cup, you know, maybe we should look at that. But the rule of everything I, I think is wrong. One point, yes, on the rumours that we've seen, the presentations that we've seen, yeah, we'd be in the Championship North, if that. Mm. Um, so the financials need to be looked at. Well, I was actually wondering on that, you know, would there be, a, because of where you're based, would you always be in Championship North or would you sometimes be Championship South depending on who goes up you wouldn't want to be one of these yo-yo uh, clubs it hasn't really been talked about much and I, I don't want to speculate too much on it in case yeah. I, I've read into it wrong but looking at the geography I thought there was maybe a chance that could even happen uh, it'd be an interesting one um, obviously some clubs have, have 
stated Palomino were one of the first to come out and say absolutely no way, no thank you. Um, obviously, there's still an interest there from from your point of view. So, I mean, will there be will Warren Point Town be speaking with Mister Lucid and his and his people because I know they want to continue talks. And Crusaders had a, an information evening with supporters recently around this topic. Warren Point Town have no view on it. We haven't even discussed it at board level because there's absolutely no point. I'll tell you, there's facts and figures on a page. You've nothing really to talk about, so it is just talk maybe for talk's sake at this moment in time. But what what I'm saying personally, and I suppose the, the rest of the club would support this, we're open to conversations. We're open to seeing how we better football, and it may be that you can spend two years talking about, it. and maybe others have spent two years about it. Maybe I say they've reached their conclusion, but we certainly haven't. So we're happy to talk for the next two years to see what what can be done. Is there a cup competition? Is there a new league? Is there is there maybe four leagues? Whatever it is, let's have a conversation. If it, if it's better for football and it develops young people into footballers, then that's a good thing. If it doesn't do that, we're certainly not interested. I think it's a very it's a very fair comment. It's an interesting time, as I say. I mean, the, the sort of structure of the league in general, I've often wondered whether it would be better to have, in, in, if we were to stay under the NIFL structure, if you like, uh, a league of 12, a league of 12, and then say, well, we don't need a championship to anymore. I'm, you know, do we? And Colin, I know you're looking at me with that, but shouldn't we have a structure where every team in the championship, this is my basis for this, and I know people will be upset with me today, I think everyone in, in in the championship, right, should be eligible for promotion because that was what was yep. put in front of them. Hundred percent. If there are teams not eligible for promotion in the championship within a time frame, let's 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 look at that conversation. Let's put a win. You know, say right, is it five years? If we want to, uh, if we don't want to do an all island league, and that's fine. If that is a considered decision that's made, then say, well, here's the window in which we're going to make the Irish league an even better product, and we say the championship. Everyone here needs to be able to go up and go down. Anyone that doesn't want to be part of that project anymore can move into a new structure outside of NFO maybe, or maybe it's under NFO but it's under a slightly different name. And teams that are in Championship 2 that actually have the criteria met, they've just been struggling on the pitch, maybe they're brought back into the frame and we say, let's, let's prioritise competitive football for teams that meet the criteria, do their licensing properly, and can be seen to be playing by all the rules that there currently are. No, I would agree with that. At the end of the day, you know, there are certain teams who have no ambition, and if that's the case, then to me they shouldn't be part of that sort of setup. Having said that, there's other clubs like my own who have ambition but don't have the finance to realise mm-hmm. that ambition. And we need the likes of whoever it happens to be, the IFA or whatever it is, to say, look, okay, we recognise that you have ambition. What is it you need to actually get to that level and then let us get on with the bill? I mean, my feeling is, I mean, this money from Stormont that we've talked about for years which might never come through but I mean there's been talk about certain clubs getting 10, 12 million out of that other clubs maybe getting half a million to me you just find out what clubs are interested in and try and divide up equally between them we'll give them all a fair chance develop all the grounds around the Irish leagues make them all into some sort of decent standard and then let's see see where clubs go from there because I'm sure uh, the powers that be appointed change in parachute payments and things like that and the, the distribution of wealth I guess throughout the division is a positive sign where some money has been allocated yeah. down because there's enough money through European progress and Everyone signed up to that, even if some people are sometimes annoyed by the fact that other members of their club signed up to it. Uh, you know, these things happen in football. Because the the argument, that, as I raise it, is theoretically, the way things stand at the moment, and I know someone in Niffle is not going to like this, but Warren Point, sure, why don't you just get relegated this year, never apply for promotion again, and just win the championship every year, and be, oh, the most successful team in the championship in 10 years' time? Yeah, I mean, it would be wonderful 
trophy cabinet talked about at the start of <laughs> before then, wouldn't it? Um, I, well, I know I wouldn't, as a, as a person, I wouldn't be able to subscribe to that. Um, I'm an ambition, ambitious person. I want to push on. I want to develop. I want one point to develop. And I'd like to see that. So I, I, I agree with some of what you're saying. All the clubs in championship should be able to go up, but someone needs to take some of these clubs by the hand and help and support and making sure they've got the infrastructure, not only physical infrastructure, but the personnel. And that's going back to my previous point about you know, training the volunteers, the coaches and all the rest of it. I mean, if we go to AFA corporate plans and things like that, there's talk about getting an administrator, a club of ministers and all that. I can tell you, I go around my, my board, they're all self-employed or working. And everything that we do is on a volunteer basis. Um, so we're all struggling. We would love to have a full-time administrator. Some clubs have two, you know what I mean? <laughs> Come on, let's share some of the wealth out. And I've yeah. been a big uh, promoter of that at Niffle and all the rest of it. We need to share the wealth out um, a bit better to improve football. And that's what I'm always wearing that hat, guys. You know, I'm always sitting wearing, how do we improve football? I'm a football person. Love football all my life. Did the Klinsman dive and tarmac, you know, <laughs> as, a, as, a, as a young guy. Because that's what I played, street football, you know, growing up. So that's that's what I'm about. And I love it. So if we start getting more money in the clubs, you know, distillery want to move on, let, let's let's support them. Let's give them a hand whatever way we can. And that's the that's not just Niffle, that's AFA have a core role in that. Um you're at those meetings. Do you do you get that sense of excitement among other chairmen and, and, and key figures in football that the league is moving in a in a good direction and there's a will to do more? Uh, where's that door? <laughs> no, <laughs> look, um, I believe that everyone that turns up to, to the Niffle meetings are all there to push Niffle forward, very much so. Of course, they're common, they've got their club badge on too, um, but I believe everyone in Niffle wants to push Niffle on at the, at the Premiership level. Uh, so everyone's got their shoulder to the wheel. We're all trying to uh, see what else can be done commercially, what else we can do. You know, I mean, Look at some of the good wins, the Academy League. It's fantastic. It's in its infancy too. We need to develop it out. And whenever I look at our club, we've been able to attract young people in on the back of it. We've now had nine young teenagers make their senior debut this season alone um, who've come through that academy setup. That's fantastic. That's the highest. Where, where's, where's Mr. Marshall here to give us the stats, you know? <laughs> but that's that's what it's about for me, young people getting that chance. And it's only a matter of time to one of them gets a chance elsewhere to make a full-time career at a football across the water. That'd be a good thing. So... I believe everyone in Niffle's on that same page. Um, and, and if I'm open and fair, I'm not so sure the IFA structures are serving that same purpose. Um, from my experience being there for, for a year and a half on those structures, um, there's some committees are very good, some committees maybe need a good shake. Look, maybe some people... I, I'm, again, coming from an old hat here too, if you don't mind, maybe I'm ranting here, but you know, I was, I was in politics at one stage too for, for four years, and I remember looking around the council chamber in Newry saying, what really needs to happen here is there should be two term limits, because you need to have fresh ideas coming in, and that's me as a person too, fresh ideas, innovation, let's push it on, how do we change it? Some things will work, some things will fail, be man enough and brave enough to stand up and say, no, that didn't work, let's revert, you know, and that probably leads nicely into seasonality. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a very interesting one. And obviously, as we're approaching an election period, we haven't spoken there about any parties or candidates, and uh, nor are we leaning towards any representation <laughs> that Connor may have had at one stage or another. Uh, you have to in this day and age. Some 
clump it'll go I know what he did and I, now they've all told us to do no we didn't I'm well retired <laughs> trust me brackets free <laughs> no it's uh, look at it, it, the seasonality thing's another aspect of it and I, I said at the very start of this programme the, the crazy Christmas schedule that's on its way and I spoke to David Healy at the weekend and uh, he said they're, they're going to say here comes this guy again with his, his you know annual complaint but you made the point anyway. How can we expect our clubs, who are the majority of them not full-time professional clubs, to commit to those hours, the volunteers commit to those hours, plus real life, which includes families and jobs? How, how, how do we do it? Because I know we try every year, but every year I do feel the strain that clubs are under when I'm out at those grounds and talking to those people. It's complete and utter madness. Nothing else, just complete madness. And, I mean, you talk about I'm on committees and I, and I said it, I'd rather have an extra couple of midweek games at the start of the season, the better weather, you know, you have a chance to get more fans maybe. And I know then other clubs are saying, well, the Boxing Days, there's people home and all the rest of it. And, well, I know for I'm maybe selfish in that point of view. For us, it makes no difference whatsoever. But I think it's wrong. I think it's totally wrong to try and cram so many games into a period when players need to be with their families you know they're part time uh, I know some of them are maybe full time now but that's still wrong you know whenever you look across the water and they're you know Scotland I think closed down for two weeks isn't it um, English Premiership and you know they're all looking at, at winter breaks and all now Why? and here we are in Northern Ireland we're sitting going no no let's try and cram as many games in as possible <laughs> maybe I suppose we're always slow to catch on aren't we <laughs> Well, uh, there's there's a, maybe an area where improvement could be made because that is a, a big thing. People with more money and more resources and who are solely dedicating their lives to being professional footballers in other countries are being given time off during this period. And we with less resources, less manpower, less availability and freedom are somehow trying to force ourselves into it. it I, I just don't know how how it's feasible and I'm, you, you're looking at the fixtures and you're going playing on the, the 21st playing on the 26th playing on the 28th playing on the 1st of the tail end of this month into the 1st of the next how how are we doing that still? I couldn't believe it um, that, that that was sort of this year being looked at for our players because I just to be honest assumed that the game of the, the 28th maybe would be let slip or maybe imagine having a New Year's Day off because you know we've all these wonderful stories that we share when we're not on the radio about players enjoying themselves a bit too much and whatever surely New Year's Day is a massive one for that and you're thinking let them just enjoy New Year's Eve properly if, if we're going to make them work on Boxing Day give them New Year's Day off even and just have a bit of a breathing space I believe though that the message is being heard now and I'd be surprised if we see this madness continue any further uh, next year. Um, and it, it, it is madness, particularly whenever you look now at the fixtures coming up. Every team that's at home on Boxing Day is at home on the Saturday too. So the pitchers have been asked to play in the worst period of the year, two games in three days. That's nuts. Which means half the teams are playing away both. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're away. Both, both, both Boxing Day on the on the Saturday. It's crazy, you know. You mentioned there, Connor, about next season you expect changes. Is that something in the offing? Well, I certainly will be pushing for it whenever the uh, fixture timetable comes out. Um, and I do believe others will, will have will, will be looking at it too. And you know, people are listening. You know, we're not robots sitting in the corner somewhere. You know, we are listening what players, managers, supporters are saying. So 
maybe this this year is worse than it's ever been because of the way it's all fallen. I don't know. So I don't I don't believe you'll see the same sort of fixture uh, cramming in as we did this year. And yet we had the story of a complete opposite problem. We finished on the 15th of December and we're not back to 11th of January. Which again is probably too long, isn't it? Far too long. Yeah, far too long. Sometimes when it comes to the organising fixtures and that side of things, I actually feel sorry for them. There's so many different things coming up and you're like, well, we have to wait for this team to fall out of this cup before we can give them a game against you and all this sort of nonsense. And you're thinking... You know, it's dead easy to attack people. And go, well, what about us? And you and I know you weren't doing that, but you sort of look and go, well, how the heck do you get the game played when you don't even know? You don't end up doing what the English Football League were doing and saying, right, Liverpool, you're playing against Aston Villa on the the, the same uh, weekend or whatever as you're meant to be playing across the world in a, a World yeah. Club ch- Championship, uh, which is, is bananas at that level that that would even happen. But but there we are and it did uh, plenty more to ask Connor uh, he's sticking around for a while yet but now on the programme it's time to do this Yes, it's time for Where's Your Head At, the part of the programme where we look at the weird and wonderful things that have happened in the world of sport in the last week or so, and if we can't work them out, why? Then, well, we just make fun of them. Uh, what else would you do, Colin Hopkins? Um, where will we start this week? Just an interesting story I came across uh, regarding Jack Grealish, the Aston Villa player, basically, and he made a comment just during the week to say that he's never actually angry with heavy challenges happening up with, but what does make him angry is when other players try to wind him up off the ball. And he cites a sort of comment which came from... Will Vokes, a Cardiff City player, he kept saying them all the time, you're a sexy boy. <laughs> and that really wound him up off the ball. It's interesting. <laughs> I don't mind that. I uh, I know a fella that used to eat garlic the day of a match and just breathe on the guy he was marking. A big centre back. Oh. And I, I mean, he was stinking. You know, see, even in training sometimes, just out of badness, he would do it. And uh, you'd never want to be anywhere near him. You know, he, he was just rancid. But uh, it kind of worked. I love a wee bit of psychology now. Okay, if you're standing on people's feet and if you're elbowing them, then that's it's a bit much. But you see a wee bit of the mind games. I love it. I was playing uh, Six Aside last night in Belfast, a few mates, and someone fired a shot from the halfway line because they were, they were losing and they got a wee bit angry. And I went flying over and I just, I just gave them a round of applause and looked around and went, oh, sorry, I thought someone was down. You know, and it just getting in their head more and just trying to wind them up a wee bit more. But I, I'm a big fan of all of that. Just a wee word and a wee smile and a wee wink. Uh, why not? It's, you know, it should be I, a bit of I fun. I would never do it from the sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're all guilty of it. Come on, come on. You're not going to confess anything now. <laughs> oh, well. Nobody will hear. You've never shouted sexy on the pitch now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure there's plenty of photographs of me... Uh, Shouting and roaring, <laughs> not just at the refs. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Uh, shout out to Wakehurst, right? Uh, Wakehurst were on Twitter the other day uh, praising the amazing work that, uh, and I don't know who they meant to tag, right? Uh, the t- here's the tweet as it reads. When the team is back, to the, uh, is back to the wall and injuries have decimated the squad, it's great to see the youth team have provided us with strength and depth. Big shout out to Michael Clark, tagged me, for the work he's done with the youth and the path mapped ahead together stronger um, you're absolutely welcome I have no affiliation to the club and I've done none of that work uh, so I don't know I don't know if there's a fellow in my name 
uh, that deserves all the praise. I, I don't know. I sent the club a wee message going, look, you've tagged the wrong fella there, just in case somebody's due the praise. I, I don't want to be getting it. And it's still, I think it's still up. So um, at this point, I'm taking it. Uh, you're <laughs> welcome. And uh, I'll take any award that may come my way. I'll come to your end of season dinner. Uh, but <laughs> there you go. Uh, it happens. We've all tagged the wrong person online. We cursed uh, this week. Chose me. Mm. I'm Lovely. flattered. Absolutely. Maybe it's your inspiring words every week. <laughs> Colin, what else have you got for us? Uh, one that you posted about uh, Black Friday in Italy. This is not such a, a bit of a controversial one, to be honest. After all the sort of the racism issues, we seem to have a big, big, massive, big headline among the Italian papers. It says Black Friday, referring to a couple of the, the black players who are playing currently in Italy. Yeah, this is a this is absolutely disgraceful, um, and it's Corriere dello Sport and Roma and Inter Milan here, the two clubs meeting. Um, have both now banned the paper and said, look, we're not going to be speaking to you and we'll revise this and we'll review this in the new year. But this is absolutely not acceptable. Italy and the Serie A this season have dealt with several instances where racism has come to a fore. Clubs have at times failed to do anywhere near enough to combat that and part of that is maybe due to fear of upsetting strong groups of supporters. We've seen strange comments from players, uh, from chairmen, and I know it's not an easy role always, but there's some things in life that are dead easy to say, such as racism is wrong, when? All the time. For a journalist to say, and they have said, because they've doubled down on this, that they didn't mean it in a racist way. You've put a picture of two black players on your paper, on a big splash picture, and called it Black Friday, when it isn't even Black Friday in terms of the sales. So what are you trying to say? Um, if there's some sort of link to well, these two players were acquired from England, from Manchester United, and Lukaku and Smalling, tenuous. But Black Friday, really, with everything going on in Italy at the moment, and those two players, I'm sorry. For me, it's crass, and I support Roma and I support Inter Milan in their stance against that. I don't think any more needs to be said. But um, Italy, not the only country that has a problem with racism, and every country has some sort of discrimination issue. Um, just, just take your pick. But uh, this is this is very very poor, and uh, I think everybody will support the banning of that publication, um, who have failed to just say we were totally wrong and we wholeheartedly apologise. Instead, they tried to defend the journalist, and um, that's called digging a hole where I come from. Uh, we'll move on. Um, what about John Joe Shelby's goal against Sheffield United? Go ahead. This is this that. is brilliant. Um, so the linesman's got this entirely wrong. It's the linesman's fault. John Joe Shelby. Uh, races in one on one with the keeper to score a goal which he does which essentially wins the game for Newcastle United the long ball was played forward I think it was Andy Carroll flicked it on and the offside flag immediately comes up so all the Sheffield United players stop see an offside flag well we'll stop John Joe Shelby continues his run because there was no whistle the referee continues running he actually runs past the defenders and follows John Joe Shelby who then slots it past the keeper who's sort of half trying to save it half not the goal stands and essentially it gives Newcastle the win. Chris Wilder saying, look, he's fed up of VAR. It's sucking the life out of games. He can't even celebrate goals. He didn't even enjoy fully their dramatic equaliser against Manchester United. He said because he was waiting for VAR so long as you remember there was a claim for a handball and that. And he's saying in this instance, if the assistant's got his flag up, why has he got his flag up if it's not a clear and obvious offside, which is the only time now the Premier League referees are... Our assistant referees are meant to flag for offsides is when it is clear and obvious. Not he might be in that they've been given clear instructions and it was it was set out in the guidelines 
And if I'm not a qualified referee and I know this, then they definitely should, because um, I only attended two meetings. Um, but the, the flag should stay down, and if it's a wrongful award of a goal, VAR will fix that. The flag going up causes confusion. Sheffield United players partially to blame for stopping, but really the linesman's got it all wrong. And well done, John Joe Shelby, because that's really clever. I, I admire him for actually knowing the rules of the game in a split-second judgment. He's gone, well, there's nobody stopping me. I'm just going to score, and then you can rule it out. Worst he's going to get is a yellow card, so no, fair play to him. Um, I, do, I do have some sympathy for Sheffield United, though. Your thoughts on VAR, Connor? Um, I think it's ruining the game, to be honest with you. Um, you know, it's all about <coughs> human error. Although, I have to be honest with you, sometimes I wish it was in the Irish Premiership uh, with some of the decisions that we see every week. But um, no, I, I, for me, I would scrap it. It's just it's ruining the game. It's a, it's a difficult one. There there might have been a game against Dungannon a few years ago you could have done with a bit of VAR. <laughs> I knew I was going to come up. <laughs> That's still horrific. Still nightmares. It was... Uh, Probably the worst moment in football for, for me. Yeah. Um, we, we might talk about that season and the following seasons and a, a, a sort of outside of this segment, so we'll, we'll hold that thought for now, but it definitely could have been used that day, and that's all I'll say. Uh, the last one I've got for now, Colin, is uh, Pep Guardiola. Who's he the manager of? Uh, Manchester City, last oh, time oh, I looked. Are you sure? Mm, well, he's not sure. He's not sure, <laughs> uh, because he accidentally said he was the manager of Bayern Munich, uh, which he did used to be. Uh <laughs> Uh, his words Bayern Munich what the beep <laughs> uh, Guardiola forgot that he was the Man City boss in a very funny moment in a press conference earlier this week uh, it was after Man City thumped Burnley 4-1 uh, he swore and slapped his own head in a comical scene as he mistakenly uh, referred to his current club as the German Giants so uh, we bit of a we bit of a mistake there um, you, you wouldn't want to do that in just general life, would you? You know, like call your wife your ex's name, or <laughs> not recommended. Not recommended. No, it's not good for one's health. I wouldn't have thought. But that's that is a just. I just thought that's amazing. I remember um, that that sort of things happened to Man City before. Do you remember Rabinho was telling everyone he was really pleased to sign for Man United when he'd signed for Man City? That's right, yes. And you're sort of like. Oh, I know you're trying to make a big history, but like you're making a mess of it when you're you don't even know who you are. Uh, I'd say it was just a, a very tired Guardiola just forgot himself. Definitely couldn't be that uh, Bayern Munich will be looking to change their boss in the summer, and Guardiola might be fed up of fighting club for a title. Wouldn't be that, uh, not at all. Not 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 my suggestion whatsoever. Uh, what do you think, Colin? Have you anything else for us? The last one I have is uh, regarding Danish club Viborg. Okay. Who basically recently signed a player called Verhagen. Uh, on recommendation etc but they're now suing him for being a fake footballer <laughs> so one of these situations where an agent got involved sent him a whole pile of faxes and all sorts of stuff he took his word for it signed the player and apparently he's absolutely dreadful uh, can't even throw the ball apparently I'd say there's a few hours league chairman going hold on I can do that <laughs> <laughs> you said he was decent at his last club have you seen him play this season that's brilliant that's the, the old uh Graham Souness nightmare. Do you remember he did yeah, that years ago? Exactly. Signed, signed the boy George. What was it George Way's cousin or something? And he was, he was absolutely tripe. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, uh, I, think the, I think the agent in this case promised them that he had a sort of a, a buyer lined up in China for early next year, yeah. and they were going to make a massive big profit from signing this player. So 
complete farce, but there you go. There you go indeed. Well, uh, that definitely is a word you head out. Do your homework before you make uh, your purchase. Marvellous. Uh, <laughs> that was a very interesting little segment on the show this week. I think they're some of the best. If you've uh, any weird and wonderful sports stories that we've missed out, uh, please share them with us on social media. We'll get round to them. If we don't mention them today, we'll mention them on the programme uh, next week. Conor McGreevy's uh, still in the studio with us, uh, sharing his views. And um, I said with you know, tongue-in-cheek that moment... Um, against Dungannon but I remember that day vividly because I was at the other game which obviously had a massive uh, bearing on everything that season which was the Carrick Rangers went against Balna Mallard which in itself was dramatic and at the other ground you have the other commentator which is Michael Hammond screaming his head off at a penalty which wasn't converted and then it was the second rebound that went in and as much as people may go wow what drama um, it doesn't make you feel very good if you're from or for Warren Point it was awful and just as you're talking there, I'm running that whole day, whole moment through my head. I can still see it so clearly. I was sitting in the stand, um, and the penalties are oh, the sinking feeling. Then I was saved. You're like, I actually jumped out and ran down to the fence, roaring and shouting, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the rebound saved again, and then bang back in the net. And that sinking feeling was just unreal. I'll never forget that. And then going down, uh, the referee coming off, there's Dogs abuse coming there, of course, too, because no one in world football thought that was a penalty. And I still wait for someone to come and tell me how uh, that decision was made. And I'll never get that, of course. Um, but people over in the club are saying, we have to do something, we have to do something. And we did, we did. I mean, we, we did go and challenge and all the rest of it for all, all the good it did. But on hindsight, I suppose, that one year then dropping. It allowed a lot of things to happen that, that we didn't have time to happen in the first that was our first three year period in the champ- in the premiership where it was just running around like headless chickens. But we got a chance in that for one season to try and get a better better structure in place and back up and we enjoyed that quite well. Although that whole year you just sort of one of them ones, you know, you were waiting in the doctor, right? Am I going in yet? Am I going in yet? You know, we're just waiting to get back in the premiership. So yeah. Nightmare still, sorry, I'm getting shivers here. <laughs> no, I know, because I can feel it. I just remember the whole emotion around that time and there was such a, a stark contrast between the clubs because obviously it affected, uh, in one sense, Balna Mallard having uh, thought they were going to be uh, totally safe and then losing against Carrick and then you've got your scenario where the way the games are going you were sort of thinking, well, if the score over there is this, we might be okay and then obviously it's completely taken away from you. Um, I mean, we see this week in England, look at Jimmy Vardy, he was yellow-carded for a dive when he was upended in the penalty area, and they went to VAR and they said, yeah, it's a dive and yellow card. Simulation, they'd like us to call it. Uh, When I watched that, I'm sort of going, you're telling me a team of qualified referees with replays are saying that simulation. So I will always put this disclaimer where I do feel sorry for local referees uh, who don't have that, the technology not there, no one to review it, they might make an absolute mess, but there's no one to save them at all. And referees who have the safety net are still being let down by people in vans watching screens. So, I mean, there's a full context. You've one chance to see it, and, and God help you, you might see something that doesn't exist, or you might see something in a totally warped way, and you have to live by that. And, and people, I'm sure, in every referee's case, they've all got one of those, and they'll be reminded years and years down the line, do you remember that time you did this? Uh, it can't be easy for anybody. Yeah, um, and unfortunately we do see it week in, week out, and it's the inconsistency. I mean, I think everyone understands the human nature of making decisions, but so many times after a game, 
not even to say I did make a mistake is wrong. So you know we need to do something. Something needs to change here because it's you know it's not as if they're volunteers too. You know referees are paid, uh, and you know we need them in the game and we want to support them. So I don't I don't I'm not one of these ones that sits and says right let's give the ref a load of abuse here either. But we need to see more consistency coming in the game. Whatever way it happens, again we're going back to me training, training, training. You know more coaching, whatever it is, something needs to happen there because that is the bit that really irks you and you see it every week. And I'm reflecting back now through this season. You know, some of the, some of the decisions that went against us in the first six seven games were absolutely atrocious. Like a blind man on a galloping horse could have seen them. Uh, referees will always point to how hard it is. Um, th- I believe mm-hmm. as well that they're maybe asking for an increase next season as well in their in their pay. I, I saw uh, one person had said that as much as forty pound additional per game. I, I don't know whether that will come to pass or not. The referees aren't here to answer for that, so um, mm-hmm. we'll we'll leave that there. That might not be something that actually happens. Um, and we've. We've talked at length about referees in this programme. We've we've had a couple in. Obviously, one's been uh, put forward by the IFA for their, their FIFA standard, which is Jamie Robinson, so uh, congratulations to him for, for joining the ranks on, on that front, young referee. Um, it's, it's still an area where obviously something needs to be done. I would like to see referees be given more freedom to speak to people afterwards because I think the... Uh, and referees don't agree with me on this always, so my view and all that they need to have the ability to come and have a chat with you without fear of what comes next absolutely and, that, and that's what I was saying you know after the game if the mistakes been made they know they've made a mistake don't be locked away and I can't admit the, you know not making mistakes we're all human we all make mistakes so I think that would help and then that's almost like an education process in itself where maybe myself and other chairman could say X, Y and Z without aggression maybe coming into it let's, let's have it you know particularly in this day and age again technology coming up here right there's people have videos of things too, and you can show. Look, what do you think of that? Just yeah, see me. We're shooting the breeze here. Yeah, and then we're all learning, moving forward, and close the door on it because you can't change it once it's done anyway. Yeah, because I, I think what we see mm-hmm. is that the more established, stroke experienced referees do have that demeanour where they feel like they can talk to people, and uh, other referees wouldn't have that rapport with individuals at clubs and don't feel they can have it. Sometimes I know you could say. What good does it do? The decisions made, you know, you you've got your slap in the face. It it doesn't un, undo it, um, but I think on a, on a personal level, it it does make it easier the next time you have to deal with them that there's not a the underlying resentment because they they've sort of snubbed you after after getting that slap. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, look, <clears throat> I'm not going to dwell on that penalty decision against Dungannon, but no one in our club has ever had a communication, had a chat. With the referee of that day, I'm not going. I don't know why I'm allowed to name names, but you know, mm-hmm. no one's ever had that conversation. And this evening, have that conversation. I think that would help heal that major <laughs> mistake. <laughs> you know, and move forward. Um, after a game, you know, these conversations should be happening. That's that's my view. Of it. You did mention there. I'm sorry to harp on about, but that penalty decision that you did sort of appeal it. What sort of grounds are you appealing that? We actually didn't appeal the penalty decision. Mm-hmm. Um, the case was centered around. Another manager who was suspended being in the dugout right. of a game. Yeah, yeah, remember the incident now. Yeah, um, I mean it, it, it's all published, so uh, yeah. there's no there's no problem with me saying the issue was was around Gary Hevern at the time taking charge of a game where he was meant to be suspended, and there was a whole thing around that. And in the end, Carrick Rangers stayed up, Warren Point went down. Um, yeah. 
Sorry to, to, to go through the history of it, but people will wonder. Oh, uh, wounds! So, look at the blood coming off here. Let's talk about uh, some of the managers in recent times. Obviously, Barry Gray's first stint, and now he's back, and I'm sure you're delighted he is. First stint, a uh, good 11 years, I think. Obviously, mm-hmm. you weren't there for all of that yeah. in terms of uh, on the on the board, etc. But uh, through the time, you know, promotion, relegation, everything, he, he really... Uh, was Mr. Warren Point Town I think for a lot of people as well that, that didn't know Warren Point Town and when they were put really big time on the map you're going and Barry Gray's the, the figurehead of that yeah. um, when he went uh, sort of midway through a season I think it was Matthew Tipton uh, came in um, and after him Stephen McDonnell and the interesting thing about, about both of those managers is um, I think it's fair to say progressive young managers is that sort of in line with your ethos of giving young players a chance trying to do more with the academy is bringing in younger less experienced managers and, and trying to give them a chance too yeah and that's what both of them appointments were um, <clears throat> I know whenever we appointed uh, Stevie uh, those who were saying going who you know because um, he was 25 he was just shy of turning <laughs> 26 yeah and look a year and a half or was it a thousand days or something he was there um, you know we give him that platform we give him that window of opportunity he played for us, of course, and believe it or not, here's a wee bit of history for you too. Um, Stevie's uh, first roommate was actually myself. Oh, really? <laughs> on an away trip to Russia, of all places, <laughs> for one point town. So, um, so Stevie and I would both go back to, to that period. Um, so Stevie came in there, young, fresh, ambitious, coach and all the rest, and uh, came on with fresh ideas, and we fully supported him. You know, wanted a gym, wanted to go three nights, let, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it this way. And I think he enjoyed that experience. Um, it wasn't easy to part ways, definitely not. And we've met since for a cup of tea and all the rest of it, and we're still friends. I hope, Stevie, if you're listening. Um, I like to call Stevie a friend, and I think we always will be within football. These things happen, we had to make a change. Going back to uh, Tippy, uh, Tippy came in as a, a coach with Barry at the time. That was the season we went down. And looking in hindsight and, hindsight, and Barry can speak for himself, but I don't think Barry's head maybe was in championship, still struggling with that incident that took place. So he needed to step away. And he did. He was also a director in the club too. So he wanted to look at that. And then, of course, he went to Cliftonville. He wasn't sure whether he wanted to be on the board or football manager and all the rest of it. And now he's gone full circle. He's back. But he's back a very different person. Um, he's back as a football manager he's not on the board hasn't been on the board since he left the club to go to Cliftonville um, and I can see a different Barry Gray and I think it's it's a better Barry Gray and he'd admit it himself we're a different club too because the structures have changed and the personnel are changing around and it's very good um, but look managers you know if Barry goes who's coming in is Barry staying you know <laughs> we need to have that conversation you know he's come in as an interim manager Um he needs to say, we need to say, look, I, looking at it, I think he's very, very keen on staying. He's Mr. One Point, as you said. He's been there, done that. He wants to push on and develop it. We all know how we work together. I can see a long-term future for Barry again at the club. I just always loved that it was Barry Gray and Harry Fay, and I just wanted them to see, like, could we get Maggie May? You know, how many more could we have? Just a team of, of rhyming colleagues. Uh, amazing. Um, let, let I just want to go back to Stephen McDonnell uh, yeah. for a moment because obviously it was a, a brave decision at that time and he's a he's a very good uh, young manager and coach so I can understand the appointment and we've had him on this program before um, so we I get what you you saw there but 
did you face any challenge about it? Because I know he'd played for the club, and I, I know people. You know, he's a popular fella. But was there anyone going? Are you sure he's the man? Because we we are not a club that can just afford to have a bad season. Yeah, pretty much everyone. Um, you know, but that that's it was not just solely my decision. It's a decision of a number of uh, directors. We felt right. Here's a guy who is in the club, knows the club, knows the players. Let's see how it goes. So he's appointed at that time as an interim manager too, and he proved himself. You know, he got results, and we could see things differently. And we said, yeah, that's good. But the key for us, and I go back to that uh, youth development. You know, <clears throat> we've got a great guy in there now at the head of youth, Aaron McNeil. He was over at Swansea City and all the rest. So, you know, he's developing young players too. And that's what Stevie fitted that bill. He wanted to bring young players through. The stats there, they don't lie. The youngest team in the league, average age. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to learn from it. Um, and even Barry now too, he gets that. This is what we're about now as a club. And he's bringing the young ones through. I mean, some of the young ones lately have been absolutely superb. From my perspective, don't know why you've seen anything yourself. You know Chris Cowan, Ben Mullen. You know these boys are standing out like they've been around the Irish League all their lives. And, and even the young keeper, you know, um, you're sitting looking at 17 years of age, 19 years of age actually, but everyone keeps saying 17, so that's <laughs> almost 17. Um, <clears throat> so you know these are young players and they're performing brilliantly. We're not going to win every game, but you see the blood and thunder and guts that's coming out on them now. That's what we want. So Barry's buying into that. You spent, you know, the youth. Uh, Aaron McNeil Andy Merrick these guys are in the youth setup now that's what it's about so we're now showing a pathway for young players to come through and I hope then that young coaches uh, and young managers will look at one point and say I can get a chance there mm-hmm. chance to shine chance to move on you mentioned there about the young players coming through I was, we have talked about this before in the show but it must be difficult for one point to attract more senior players based on locations who are getting players to want to come from Belfast and things like that there, but the majority of the players are based <laughs> Yeah, funny. I'm just reflecting myself and another director, Brian Reid, both from businesses in the town of Warren Point, right beside the ground, mind you too. I'm a face at Den Daily, where you're trying to attract top talent to your to your management teams and all out of Belfast and all, and they're sitting going, Warren Point, that's, that's a hike in a day. Jesus, there's a hotel nearby, you know. Guys, it's 45 minutes, you know, on yeah. a motorway down, particularly yeah. in the evening whenever you're travelling, uh, no traffic. So, um, yes, you have to sell it. Of course you do. Uh, the, and we have had some cracking players, and I'm reflecting back here too. Aaron Trainer, you know, was down with us. Belfast lad, up in Corian now, star of the show, was he team of the year there a couple of years ago? You know, Liam Bagno, now Cliftonville, okay, he's a local lad. Shanna Foster, you know, you could go through Darren Murray, there's another one, you know, Doozle flying, scoring goals, all the rest of it. Not so much maybe this year, we'll see where he goes next. But, you know, that's what one point can be. So, whenever we're looking at bringing the senior players down, it's probably the players that are falling out of favour. It's players that maybe, for whatever reason, just aren't making it at their existing clubs. We, with our shot window, to bounce back in the football, be it half a season or a season. Of course, January, Barry's giving me this long, short list. There's about 21 players on it, you know what I mean? <laughs> <coughs> so I, I rolled it up in the ball and threw it back and says, look, come back when I was looking. No, I'm joking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's the type of player he he's going to look for. He's going to see, can he get a couple of them? You know, these players that need to be bounced back in the football game and even from the south too. I think geographically we're yeah. located quite well because you get the player maybe, I'm particularly for the January transfer window, the League of Ireland boys mm. who are maybe finishing the season, they're still fit enough. Get them in now, train away with you and they're ready to hit the ground running in January. So we can attract the boys from Dublin and Belfast and that's the senior end. So you're looking boys who need to bounce back in and then the young ones are given this, oh, there's bringing through young players too. So we're attracting young players from right across South Down, South Armagh, North Louth. Like, I think our academy teams 
I think the IFA were going to pull their hair out. Um, my, my secretary, Jack Gilsonham, was sending in all these uh, clearances, you know, for the yeah, players coming nice from the south of Ireland, you know, and prove that they're 50 kilometres from the border and 50 kilometres from the club and all. It was a nightmare. Like, it must have been about 30 of them came through this summer. <laughs> they're not all moving to their granny's house just to make sure they're within it, no? No, 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 we wouldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> just double checking. Um, it's a... Uh, you're right. There's a there's a wider catchment area, and sometimes people just sort of, because you're in the uh, the Irish League structure, they think you have to always look north, and they forget the fact that well, actually, you can look every direction you want as long as you can pull those those players and those talents in. Yeah. I remember the first time I went to Milltown. I was uh, halfway Lost. up a wee hill near the near the ground. I don't know the name of the road, but it's the 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 main road. You come past the the petrol station, you turn left. And you kind of go up a wee windy, snaky road, and eventually you've just a big left turn, and you're in you're into the ground itself. Um, and there was cows crossing the road, and I had to stop and let the cows cross the road. And I just thought, isn't this the countryside? <laughs> but it's not far away at all. But people, uh, we've talked about this. Oh goodness, till we're blue in the face in the program. People here think anything sort of nearing an hour is a trek and they, they sort of panic about it. I remember speaking to uh, someone at Ballinam Mallard in the past and they said that uh, meetings in Belfast always start at nine in the morning, meetings, out, meetings outside of Belfast always happen after ten and I thought that's very true isn't it? You know that sort of well we're not getting there for that, we'll push this back into the day and you, you probably see that outside of football. Absolutely <clears throat> all the time um, and then people say <clears throat> coming out of Belfast oh, I'll meet you at ten o'clock in your offices Connor. yeah that's fine that's fine 10.30, nobody here yet, you know, completely. And then they get lost, of course, too, you know. Um, but I, I do find a lot of people outside of Belfast know how to get to Belfast on time, but the people coming out struggle. Um, maybe that's me tarring everyone with one brush. I'm sure it's not all the same. But, yeah, Milltown, we're not the end of the world, believe it or not. <laughs> it's the end of the world when it comes to Wi-Fi, I have to say. Wi-Fi signals are virtually non-existent, I find, any time I'm down Milltown. There's a reason for that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what happens in Milltown, it's like... <laughs> Absolutely. It's mini Las Vegas. Uh, no, brilliant. Um, the, the start of this season, it, it's no secret, and obviously it led to a change, um, must have been one of the most frustrating that you've experienced in the top flight. I mean, what was it, 11 defeats in 12 or something like that in the in the league? And you're, you must be looking at that and thinking, oh, what, what do we do here? How do we fix this? Yeah, and I think we tried everything. Um, <clears throat> you know, Stevie even asked myself to come down and speak to players. You know, could we support them? Could we get nights out? You know, everything off the field possible was done. On the field, the guys are knocking their pan out. Just luck wasn't there. Injuries, unbelievable injuries, of course, too. Young players, players quitting. You know, we even had one player, uh, Kieran O'Connor, actually took himself off the pitch against Lennon. Um, Totally unprecedented. I, I never saw the leg of it in my life. But, you know, that was what we're dealing with. So morale was down low. Players were upset, everything. So we had to then eventually make a decision. We need to get something happening here. So the only way to get a tune out, our only tool left in the toolbox was change manager. You know, something we reluctantly did. Kieran has, has gone to Glen Torren. I saw that he, he put a tweet up basically saying that from his point of view, people were accusing him of, of quitting the club, whereas he was trying to say things were going on in his life. He needed to step back. Now he's in a position to, to come and start playing football again. The, the, the way it happened, I, I sort of get the feeling it wasn't a, a harmonious split. Um, it's bizarre. I have to say, looking back on it now, <clears throat> um, as we're changing manager, I mean, Kieran texted me to say he was considering packing it in for some time because kids coming, fully understand, twins coming, yeah. 
we're going to have our hands full. So, yeah, we, we agreed to contract termination. Um, see him coming back. I mean, I wish him all the best, Glen Torn. I understand he's going to be paid a full-time salary now, so that's probably the trigger for coming back. Disappointed, of course. You know, there's no point in hiding that. I'd like to get a conversation with him. Uh, I wish he had maybe stuck with us, uh, even, you know, not be able to play. Take a wee bit of a sabbatical, um, see where you are in January. Uh, it's the same leaving now to, to turn up with Glen Torn, and we don't even get a, a, a bit of a transfer fee. Whenever you're struggling, you know, as a club, to get as much money as possible to reinvest. I'm sitting going, you have two young girls now. More than likely, women's football's on the rise. They're going to play football. You know, somebody has to coach them and train them. You know, if we had got two grand for you even on a transfer fee, that could have been towards coaching someone to, to, to help your kids in the future. Anyway, look, it is what it is. No hard feelings, best of luck, and hopefully you don't score against us. <laughs> <laughs> we wouldn't sort of deny you. We were sort of talking about Warren Pointless for a long time. It looked really like you were dead and buried. But since the change of manager, things do seem to turn around. Optimistic, you can turn around stay up? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, Barry's come in there, he's taking a wee bit of time to get his ideas across to the players. The players have bought into it. It's all credit to the players. Um, that's not an easy thing for anyone to go through, particularly our young team to come through that transition of a new manager. And most of them had never played under any other manager. Mm. You know, they're sitting going, who is this guy? You know, <laughs> and Barry's a different different character. And, you know, you've got Dykesy in there He's now very too. shy. Very shy. shy. Just like myself. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, so Barry is a good cop, bad cop. Dykesy in there too. You know, it's it's an interesting balance. Yeah, I mean, if anyone could do the good cop role, Gavin Dykes. <laughs> and he's the most inoffensive man in the world. And I mean that with, with uh, you know, in the nicest way possible. Because uh, I re- remember him going, obviously, through a, a difficult patch when he was at the Mallards. And I've never met a manager who could be more dignified in the face of adversity because there was lots going on that he couldn't talk about. And he never, ever came out and moaned or complained or pointed fingers. He just got on with it. And, yeah. uh, you know, he's a guy I think that's going to be a very positive influence for you. He is. Um like I didn't know him. I knew who he was before he came to Warren Point. Um, I have to say I've warmed to him quite a lot. Just straight talking to, which is oh, good, yeah. which is what I like. Um, but yeah, as you say, very dignified guy too, and very honest, which is what we want. And the players need that too. They need to hear honest feedback. And uh, with those wins against Corian, which I mean, that was the one where uh, people's eyebrows are near ending up in the back of their heads. <laughs> they were what they've done, what, uh, and, and then uh, following that up. Uh, Giving Crusaders a tough game, uh, only losing by a goal, and then uh, the win over Balamina. Um, looking at those uh, most recent league fixtures, that's a, that's a positive trend, and one obviously that you're gonna you're gonna need to keep going in some form if you're gonna uh, come out the right end of this fight. Big time. I mean, the Korean one. I felt there's something coming. I could see the change from Barry's first game back in charge in Carrick. That was a real hard fought game. The guys just maybe ran out of steam. I felt towards the end, um, where we conceded later on. Um, and I, I felt our way game the Korean actually we should have got something out of it whenever Stevie was there uh, like there was a, another controversial penalty let's not go back on ourselves here there was a kick out ball still moving there, you know there, there was all sorts of stuff you're sitting going how did that happen so I felt that they were beatable and you could see the way Barry's pushing it and I felt right there's a chance here and we got it but it, we got it out of sheer hard work it wasn't that Korean were poor it was the Warren Point guys, young guys that stood up, made, you know, let's account for ourselves here and done very well. Against Crusaders, I'd love to see that goal back again. I haven't seen it. I'm sort of scared, so it was. I don't think that ball crossed the line. <laughs> but anyway, um, I think uh, Crusaders were going up the road and they were saying, like, that was a hard game for us. So that was good too. And against come down to work ethic, passion, 
blood thunder let's go for it cross the line put my body on the line that's what the players are doing so all credit to them and then of course Balamina um, you know people uh, I heard different people saying you know Balamina were putting the pressure on they didn't get a shot on target in the second half you know let's be honest about it the, again the guys were working hard and pushing so I do believe yes we can stay up I believe Barry will make two, three, four signings in, in January that will maybe lift us up again in all of January or the first week it <laughs> <laughs> might even be done who knows we <laughs> shall reveal all in Lisbon 98 FM <laughs> yes, yes, yes please do let's, let's rhymes with come on we can figure it out guys <laughs> no but look I think we can do well this week is going to be tough this yeah. week against Dungannon it's going to be massive that's a massive three points if you win that all of a sudden Dungannon are really sucked into that relegation problem yeah they, they sure sure are Um themselves the institute and ourselves are probably that's what's going to be by the looks of it now unless Carrick can be sucked back into it I can't see it they're flying you know Niall hasn't gone well um, so yeah Saturday's massive for us if we can get something out of it then we're there but look I could reflect back whenever we made that transition from Stevie to Barry we met Barry we sat down with him and said look as long as come the 1st of January that we're still within that sort of six points then we've got a chance of staying up and we still firmly believe that and we've done better than we expected so fair play to Barry and the team I have to admit sort of as I'm sitting here I'm really admiring the passion you have for this so many chairmen of football clubs just go through the motions but you're literally kicking every ball with the club <laughs> that's what it comes across as yeah uh, yeah, and, and I think uh, Seamus Heath caught me nicely there a couple of times on Saturday with photographs some awful photographs yeah uh, funny. Barry, is, is it Seamus's birthday today? Did I read that somewhere? Is it? I think it is. I'm, I'm going to say happy birthday, Seamus. I think I think I'm right in saying that. As long as you're not asking me to sing. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean see how Korean game. Come uh, talking to Barry afterwards. Two of us were like two old men, feeling their knees and our heads and our arms. We literally had kicked and headed every ball. Brilliant. You know. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. Uh, well, that sounds like a, a trip to the doctors probably needed for the ticker. <laughs> the way the season's gone so far. Uh, 100%. No, it's it's fascinating. You look at the way the league table is at the moment. Warren Point Town after 18 games, 9 points, 3 points behind Institute. It is only 3 points. Uh, the goal difference, obviously, is, is quite different at the moment there, but... Uh, um, you get points on the board and make the goal difference irrelevant potentially Dungannon are on 14 points and uh, Glenavon even with things the way they are they have a game in hand over Cark Rangers win that go above them get into 7th place you know so that this this league table is going to chop and change the bottom half's an interesting one obviously with 3 teams on 38 points and the team in 4th on 36 so uh, we're, we're going to come on to that shortly in the programme it's an amazing uh, Danske Bank Premiership season probably going to end up being one of the best uh, if not the best in terms of drama, as uh, we this weekend come into the halfway point for most of the clubs. So good luck predicting what way it's going to pan out. But uh, what we can say with certainty is it's been brilliant having you on the show, Connor. Thank you so much for coming in and, and fielding our questions. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Score NI podcast with me, Michael Clark. We're back live with the whole show on Lisburn's 98FM and Bangor FM on Friday from 1pm. Or you can subscribe to our podcast today to listen back to the first hour each week at your convenience. And in the meantime, keep in touch via our Facebook and Twitter feeds. We hope you can join us for the next episode.